So at the beginning of this week, I had the opportunity to do something that, that I've never done before. It was really unique. Uh, I was invited by Machon Hadar. How many people here know what Machon Hadar is? Yeah, not enough, not enough. So Machon Hadar is an egalitarian institution that is devoted to learning Torah in an egalitarian context. It is a full-time, it is the only full-time egalitarian yeshiva in the country, a learning institution where people learn full-time. And um, they offer incredible trainings in all manner of Jewish things. And one of the things that they offered during this winter break was they offered students to come, or anyone who was a shliach tzibur, any prayer leader from around the world, literally, to come and study the melodies and the modes of the high holidays. So 50 people joined together in Machon Hadar, which is on 69th in Amsterdam, in the West End Synagogue. And um, they were doing Yeah, you get it? My night, thank you, it's talking night. Okay, okay, okay. We have a shofar in here somewhere. And what was amazing, just like the way that that just felt, right, that mode, of course, Jewish music, all music, um, is memory. It carries memory. It is suffused with emotional memes, units of intelligence. We remember things through music. We remember where we were, who we are, and we remember a particular flavor of time. And Jewish time has texture. So when we invoke those melodies, we're already back, in some sense, back in the Chagim, the high holidays. So here we were, this past week, and uh, inspired by all of these students, we were singing Yom Kippur. We were singing, you know, Okay, I know you know it. Okay, great, great. And what was amazing to me was that it reminded me very much of something that my Rebbe, Reb Zalman Shakhtar Shalomi, my Rebbe, once told someone, he said, there are things in the Torah that are intended for us to remember that we only remember during the period when we're doing them, but clearly the Torah wants us to remember them throughout the year. So, of course, every Friday night we say that Shabbat is a zecher li mitzrayim, it is to remind us of the exodus from Egypt, from liberation. So Reb Zalman doesn't wait for Friday night. He has a shmura matzah, he has a piece of matzah, and he put it into a Ziploc bag, and he pins it to his wall as a kind of mezuzah. And he looks at it on a regular basis to remind him of liberation, of simplicity, of all those things that we remember during Passover and we talk about, but then the rest of the year we're on to other things. But what's critical here for our understanding of Judaism is that it is true, as Rabbi Lord, Jonathan Sachs, has made evident in all of his books, that there is a deep divide between mythic consciousness, the mythic mind, and the historical mind of the Bible. There is a deep divide where the mythic mind imagined time in a cyclical way without any beginning or end, the myth of the eternal return, where things happen over and over again as a response, some have argued, to the, the deep existential dread of time, the terror of time, the sense that things are lost, that things are irretrievable. Said the mythics, no, it's coming around again. It all comes around over and over again. 
And with the birth of historical consciousness to some degree in the Bible, there is a sense of a telos, a purpose, an end. We're going somewhere. We began somewhere. There's a middle. There's an end of sorts, if you will. But it isn't entirely true, as he writes, that there is that divide because Jewish time is not a circle, nor is it a line, but it is a spiral. There is the sense from the rabbis to the Middle Ages to certainly the Kabbalists and then the Hasidic masters that we bump into these themes over and over again. We come back to the same place, but we know it differently, to quote Eliot. We know it for the first time every year. So I want to ask tonight, what is the significance of having arrived again at Parshat Va'era? Here in the second of the Parshiyot of the book of Exodus, the second installment, if you will, of as the Israelites leave, that's so Barbara, as we go, as we were freed. And I want to look at one particular moment in this story that happens over and over again, every year and every day, maybe. And that is something that all of you are familiar with. Moses has had a rough time. He went kicking and screaming to redeem the Jewish people. He didn't want to go. He said to God, send by, whom, by whose hand you will send. A tautology of sorts, but send someone else. I'm, I'm not going, right? I'm not going. And God convinces him. And here in the beginning of the Parsha, there is, as Aviva Zornberg has pointed out, there are three essential characters in this Parsha that are resisting God. It is, of course, Pharaoh. It is the Israelites and Moses. Three people, three entities who are resisting liberation. And Moses has an excuse. Here's his excuse. I've gone to them. You see, the translation of the JPS, Hain, Hain Nun, Hain. You see, Moses says to God, they're not listening to me. This is one of ten instances that Rashi says is in a fortiori, a kalva chomer. They didn't listen to me. Now you want Pharaoh to listen to me. And then at the end of this verse, verse 12, he says, I'm of uncircumcised lips. Moses makes a claim, and it is a claim that to some degree we have to read much more broadly than the Exodus story. There is a problem of hearing in our Torah. We are, after all, the people of Shema Yisrael, of listen. As Levinas wanted to argue, there is an ethics of the eyes, an ocular ethics. But more strongly, the Torah wants us to know there's an auditory ethics. There's an ethics of being able to hear. That listening is what gets in the way. And Moses says, I can't get them to listen. I certainly didn't get the Israelites to listen and forget about it with Pharaoh. And in the end, I'm an uncircumcised. I don't know. That's the simple meaning. I, don't know. I can't speak. You're asking me to do something that's beyond. I can't stretch that far. And for now, I want to now turn this. Based on the Svas Emes, I want to teach. I want to 
look at something slightly differently. So the traditional understanding is, I can't speak. How will they listen if I can't speak? How will they hear me if I can't speak? And a great Hasidic master said that we should hear in his complaint something slightly different. Moses says, I am unable to speak. Not, and therefore they can't hear. But because they can't hear, I am unable to speak. You see that? That listening or hearing isn't just the responsibility of the speaker as I'm trying to keep all of you engaged right now, knowing that it's already close to going to eat. I know. I have three more minutes. But not only does the speaker create listeners, but the listeners create speakers. That there is a way of listening that empowers, that enjoins, that invites that creates a space. And Moses is saying the Israelites are not that people yet. They don't know yet how to empower me to speak. And because of that, I don't have words. How many of us as friends, as partners, as leaders, as neighbors, in day-to-day -day conversations can't wait till the person finishes to speak our own words? Thank you, brother. <laughs> and how many of us, how many of us, can't wait internally for the person to finish because it's so boring. Or, but we, or because we have so much to do. I have so much to do. You're going on too long. I've got places to go. I have things to cross off in my to-do list, my to-do app, my project management app, all of my apps. I've got stuff going on. We don't have time. We are kotzer ruach. We have Avodah Kashah, we're, we're busy, we're stressed out. And the primary function of what it is to be a Jew, I'm arguing, the primary vehicle for ethics to be made manifest in this world is lost. At every moment where we are face-to-face -face with someone or presented with an opportunity to create the space for a speaker to be born, to listen with the intent of birthing someone else's voice. In that moment, I would argue, that was what God was looking for at the beginning of creation. In the beginning, God creates by speaking, and there's no one to hear. Speech without a listener. Voice with no heart to land in. So Moshe has a problem, and the answer is to learn how to listen more deeply. And I learned this lesson this week, once again, as you know, with my two little boys. And one in particular, my eldest son, Bear, you know, at the age of four, as those of you who have had children who passed through this developmental stage, it gets rough. It'll get rougher. <laughs> You're supposed to cheer me up. I'm here trying to cheer you up. <laughs> and, 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 uh, it's a good stage? Okay. So, so let me tell you what happened, brother, okay? So this is what happened. These power struggles, you know, power struggles are very tough. When you want someone to listen to you, read Moshe, you want them to listen to you, and they're not listening to you, the temptation, of course, is to make them listen. 
You make someone listen, which, of course, makes no sense. Even as I'm saying it, you're giggling because you know it doesn't make any sense. You can't force someone to feel. You can't force someone to really hear. But you can invite them to tell you what's motivating them. That's behind NVC, Nonviolent Communication, Marshall Rosenberg. And I was reading an article about it online. I have a couple of books about it. And I really got that, I'm, that I wasn't listening to Bear last couple of weeks. And because I wasn't listening, I was getting into all these tussles with him. And there was always an extra question that I wasn't asking. Here's a classic example. Sunday, he's with his niece. He doesn't want to give her his Superman outfit. And I come into the room and I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going to say, listen, brother, just give Carly your Superman outfit, huh? And the first moment of like, I'm looking at him, he doesn't want to give his Superman outfit. I said to him, why don't you want to give your Superman outfit? What's going on? And then I waited to hear what he was going to say, assuming that he actually had heard what I said. And miracle of miracles, he said, because I'm afraid that she'll, she'll take it. That opened a conversation. In other words, his behavior was motivated by some need that was going unexpressed. And had I tried, instead of listening, to tell, I would have won but lost. And we, we lose immensely when we forget to listen. He gave the outfit. But you know what we had to do? We had to put a note on the door to allay his fear. A note on the door that said, don't forget to keep Superman here. And then he was okay. So I'm with these group of people from, who have come from all around the world to study High Holiday. Nusach and melodies and song. Welcome back, guys. And this was, for me, the most important teaching I could give them. And it came through a teacher named Nehemiah Polin. And if you hear one thing tonight, I hope you walk out with this one thing. So now give me your extra special hearing. Rabbi Nehemiah Polin is a scholar of Hasidut, of, of that mystical movement that is grounded in song. In the very thing we've been doing for the last hour and 15 minutes. And he was once asked by Shlomo Karbach himself, the composer of many of the songs that we were singing tonight. He was asked to be present with Reb Shlomo and to give over a Torah to, in some way in the presence of Reb Shlomo. And he asked the question, he said, I want everyone here to know that this Reb Shlomo is the greatest composer of our generation. But I want to ask you, what is the magic of his music? What makes Shlomo's music so magical? You know what he said? He said that in every Shlomo Nigun, every melody that Shlomo composed, the melody, the note, the present note says to the note that just came, thank you for being my Rebbe, and tells the note that's coming, I give you permission to be more beautiful than me. That when we are singing and listening, listening deeply to each other as we sing, when we're walking in the streets, when we're with our spouses, with our partners, with our neighbors, are we listening in a way that will say, number one, thank you for being my teacher, and number two, 
I hope my listening empowers you to be even more beautiful, even more vital, even stronger, even more alive, even more present in your life. That in every moment, of course, we won't have every moment. Don't want to be crazy. But if we can bring to heart that when we are listening, we're giving. You never know, right? As Shlomo used to say, you never know if that one extra question, that one extra moment of inquiry of curiosity could birth a Moses. Oh, what a world it could be.